Okay, so we wanted to continue our study on the book of Exodus. Uh, last Sunday, we spoke about the Exodus chapter. Exodus chapter 17. Okay, and today, we will be talking about Exodus chapter 18. But before we proceed, I'd like to share this, this uh, chart again with you. So this chart represents, or the book of Exodus, represents the life of a believer. So we started our Christian walk by being freed from bandages. Many of us have been freed from different vices, from, from sin that, that has engulfed us for many years, and Christ has, has, has delivered us from the kingdom or from the dominion of darkness into his kingdom. And we saw or we studied how God delivered his people out of Egypt. And we also saw how the children of Israel crossed the Pacific Ocean. What? Okay. When the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, right? And it was a miracle. Why? Because the children of Israel walked in dry land. You see, the power of God, God has, has, has delivered them out of Egypt. And when they were faced with an ocean, and they were faced with the army of Pharaoh behind them, God opened the sea so that they can cross in dry land. And eventually, the chariots of Pharaoh, what happened to them? They were all drowned. They all died. Okay? And now we are now talking about the sanctification. Sanctification is when, after we have received Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, God starts to sanctify our lives. What is sanctification? That is walking in the truth, walking in God's love, walking in holiness, walking in accordance to what the Lord or the Bible has told us to do. So let's move on. Let's read Exodus chapter 18. We'll start, we'll be reading the whole chapter this morning. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, let me first explain, who's Jethro? Jethro is the father-in-law of Moses. Meaning, if Moses has a father-in-law, naturally he has a wife, right? And the wife of Moses came from the line of the Medians. Who are the Medians? These are the people coming from the line of Abraham and his wife Keturah. Okay, so after Zerah, Abraham married, remarried, okay, and... His wife is named Keturah, and they bore a child, and they called him Mijan. And these are the descendants of, of Abraham. And we will notice when, when Moses fled from, from Egypt after he killed that, that Egyptian person who was trying to, uh, um, to bully the Israelite, Moses went to the house of Jethro. If you recall, that was the time when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. So the father-in-law the father of Moses was a priest. Okay, unfortunately, 
the line of Midians worship, worship other deity. So he was a priest, but he was not worshiping the only true God of Moses and the Israelites. So let's move on. After Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law, Jethro, received her and her two sons, of whom he was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have been a sojourner or a foreigner in a foreign land. So we saw that in Genesis chapter 8, I believe, that when Moses went back to Egypt to accomplish what God has instructed him to do, Moses left his wife and their children in Midian. Why? Probably because of security reasons. Because Moses is going to embark into a very important and dangerous mission. And probably that's the reason why he left his wife and family in Midian. The other was named Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at Mount of God. I was just, when I was reading this, I was just wondering how did they know, how did Jethro and his family knew that Moses was already in the wilderness? There is no Instagram, there is no Facebook at the time. Okay, but you know how news spread. Probably there was an information that Moses wanted to see his family or wanted his family back to go with him. And that was why Jethro, father, uh, the father of Moses, came with his sons and his wife to meet him in the desert, or they call it the Mount of God. Can you hear me now? Okay. He sent word to Moses. He said, I, your father-in-law Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships that had befallen them on the journey and how the Lord delivered them. Jethro rejoiced over the goodness in which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptian. So as I mentioned earlier, Jethro was a priest of the Midian. In probably in modern terms, he was the man. He was the, probably the chief priest of, of the Midians. And I told you earlier that they were not worshiping God. They were worshiping other deity. So when Moses and his father-in-law met, what did Moses do? We read that Moses told Jethro how the Lord has delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. In short, if you recall my preaching two Sundays ago, he had a story to tell. 
He was sharing the goodness of the Lord. He was sharing how the Lord opened the Red Sea and he was sharing about they cross on dry land. And what happened? Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. And after he had shared or he had witnessed to his father-in-law, this is what happened. So Jethro said, Blessed be the name, blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. So you see, after Moses shared the story about the goodness of the Lord, this was the result. Remember Jethro, they were worshiping other deity. They were worshiping other gods. And immediately he said, they recognized that it was the hand of the Lord. He said, blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptian. And the second thing that happened, Jethro said, now I know the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven that they dealt proudly against the people. So Jethro recognized that God is the God of all gods. And he recognized that he is greater than all of the gods that they worship in Midian. And the third thing that happened, then Jethro Moses, father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for whom? For God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses, father-in-law, before God. So after Moses witnessed, after Moses shared his story, the story of how God delivered the Egyptians from the hand of Pharaoh, this is what happened. Pharaoh turned his backs, and we can see here that he started to worship the one and only true God. Just imagine if Jethro or Moses did not experience the goodness of the Lord, what story will Moses tell his father-in-law? Nothing. And if, if that didn't happen, what's going to happen? Jethro might have, will still be worshiping other gods. So it was crucial for Moses when he shared that story to his father-in-law. And it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? So after that incident, the following morning, Moses sat with the people. Imagine there were about 2 million Israelites in the wilderness. And each and every one of them, they have issues, they have problems. Just imagine if you were Moses. Or let's put it this way. Let's imagine Pastor Insong. You have all problems, you have all issues, you have all prayer requests. All of you will go to Pastor Insong after the service. Pastor Insong, we have a problem. Pastor Insong, the, the plumbing downstairs is broken. Pastor Insong, there's no parking. 
Pastor Insong, my, my wife is sick. What will happen? The whole day is not enough to listen to all of our concern. So this is what happened to Moses. Every day, Moses would sit down and all the people will share their issues, their problems with Moses. Probably some of them will tell Moses about the disputes that they have with their neighbors. They will share their problems with their children. They will share their problems with their parents. And Moses was there to sit down from morning till evening simply to listen and address all of their concerns and their issues. That's a very difficult task, right? And the father-in-law of, of Moses said, Moses, what are you doing? Man, you're killing yourself. Right? So let's move on. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have disputes, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is what? It's not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel. And God be with you. You be the people's representative before God. And you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws. And make known to them the way in which they are to walk. And work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God. You see, Jethro already recognized the lordship of God. Choose people, men who fear God. Men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. And you shall place this over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. Let them judge the people all the time, at all times, and let it be that every major disputes they will bring to you, but every minor disputes they themselves will judge, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their places in peace. And what did Moses do? So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. So the, the father-in-law of Moses, Jethro, gave him an advice. If you were in the place of Moses, your father-in-law gives you an advice. If your relationship with your father-in-law is not good, probably you will not listen, right? Or Moses will love, no, he will say that, oh, my father-in-law, what is his K, karapatan, to give me this advice? Right? He has not experienced the hand of God. He has not experienced 
crossing the Red Sea. How dare him give, him give me this advice? I am the leader of two million people. No, I will not listen to him. Right? That's a possibility. But the Bible says Moses listened to the advice of his father-in-law. I was remember in my younger years when I was working for, for San Miguel. There were some conservatives who were telling me to look for other jobs because I'm working for, they said, a sin company because of the beer that we manufacture. And you see, let us not, let us not uh, look down on the advices of other people, even if they're not Christians. Because God can use the wisdom of other people to, what? to help us out. Had I listened to those people, then I would have not gotten my training. They have given me an advice. I listened to my superiors. We have, we have a program then. We call it mentoring. And what was that mentoring? The senior management, somebody mentors us, and we mentor the junior management people. And that's why we always harvest good leaders in our company. We listen to other people. The problem with many Christians is when they receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they already think that people who are not Christians are no good. And you know what? God allowed Moses to learn the best management skills when he was in Egypt. Same is true with Daniel. Daniel learned the best management skills when he was in Babylon because God wanted to use them to further his purpose. There were, there were good concepts that, that, uh, that we learned and a lot of Christians and a lot of pastors are adapting this. We learned this from Stephen Covey. You know that Stephen Covey is not a Christian. He's a Mormon. But the concepts, the principles that he's teaching, if we apply to our lives, if we apply to our organization, then it will, it will help us. So don't look down on the advices of other people. The only thing that you need to do is when you listen to their advices, check it out with the Word of God. Anything that is in contrary to the Word of God, reject it. But anything that is aligned with the Word of God, accept and do it. It will help us. So what did Moses do? Cho Moses chose abled men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times, the difficult disputes they would bring to Moses, but every minor disputes they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he sent him away into his own land. The title of my message this morning is The Main Thing. 
Pastor Insong spoke about the main thing on his second message last January. And this is the sequel of Pastor Insong's message, the main thing. And what was the verse that Pastor Insong shared with us when he spoke about the main thing in January? It's our Matthew 28, 18 to 19. And it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus was saying that all authority, authority over presidents, authority over kings and queens, authority above every other thing, it was given to Jesus Christ. And he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. In, when I was small, I always hear this verse. All authority given to me in heaven and earth, go therefore and make disciples. I've been hearing this. And in fact, every time the pastor would preach about this, there you are again, evangelism. And how did we interpret this? We interpret this by giving out trucks. We interpret this by friendship evangelism. We would approach a person and share, do you know where you're going after you die? Or probably we will ask them, do you know that Jesus loves you? And even in some religious sect, they will stand by the corner with a megaphone and they will yell at people passing by, repent! I remember that in the olden days, right? Kwento lang yun ng nanay ko. Okay, I remember that in the olden days. This is how we interpreted this verse. But you know what? If you look at it, the Bible did not say to go therefore and evangelize. It did not say go and distribute trucks. The instruction was very specific. Go therefore and make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Christ. A disciple is a person who follows the commandment of the Lord. A disciple is a person who has forsook, has forsaken his old life and carrying his cross day after day, day after day. A disciple is a person where you will see life changing in himself. Christianity is not all about learning or memorizing the Bible. There are some Christians who can memorize the Bible from cover to index to maps to cover. And yet their lives have not changed. A disciple 
is a follower of Christ. Go therefore and make disciples of Filipinos. No. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Whether they are a Filipino, they are an Iranian, they are Mexican, they are Americans. That's why in your office, don't just talk to your fellow Filipinos. Talk to the whites because they need the Lord. Talk to the yellows because they need the Lord. Talk to the Democrats. They need the Lord. Talk to the Republicans. They need the Lord. Be friends with them. And show them how it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And there is a very nice promise. He said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Does it mean, Pastor Reg, that Jesus will not be with me every day or every time? You know, in Revelation chapter 3, 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in and have fellowship or sup or have supper with him. That is the abiding presence of God. The moment we receive him as our personal Lord and Savior, his presence resides in us. Because the Bible says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence that Matthew is sharing here is not the abiding presence. It is the manifested presence of God. And what is that manifested presence of God? These are the presence of God that causes us to show good works to others. This is the presence of God wherein we can see the power of God moving in our lives. And the promise is very clear. And lo, I am with you. I remember in the book of Daniel, and even in the book of Genesis, in the book of Daniel, the Bible says that God prospered Daniel because the Spirit of the Lord was with him. And in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that Joseph prospered because God was with him. So you like to prosper? You like to be successful? Then we need to have the manifested presence of God in our lives. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the outermost part of the earth. The power that is being said here is, in Greek, they call it the dunamis power. The dunamis power, that's where we got the word dynamo. According to Faraday's law, the law of induction, it generates a direct current whenever that dynamo runs. There is that inherent power, potential power converted into kinetic energy. And that energy is from within. The Bible says that God is going to give us that power, that energy for what? To brag about our lives? No. So that we can all 
be witnesses. And what is a witness? A witness is a person who simply tells you the story of his life. A witness is a person who will not argue with you about biblical facts, but a person who will just share with you how the Lord has changed his life. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. According to Stephen Covey. The main thing, and what is the main thing? Making disciples. Being a witness is to keep the main thing our main thing. And that's going to the main thing that we're going to do in CCF for this year. Now let me share with you where we are in CCF or what do we want to happen in CCF? Um, our group, CCF Los Angeles, was birthed about seven years ago. Is that right, Pastor Insong? Seven years ago. It started in the house of Romy and Susan, and there were about a few couples attending that group. In fact, I was not part of it yet. And then it started to grow, and they decided to rent a place. And I don't know if, not all of you, have visited the first church that we had in Pasadena. That was in Raymond. I remember at that time when we go to church, church normally starts at 10, but because when we get there, it's only Pastor Danny, Pastor Insong, and us were there, sometimes it would start at 10.30. And then Pastor Insong would lead the praise and worship and after he leads the praise and worship, he will turn around and then preach. You guys remember that? We were about 30 people attending in that service on the average at that time. And then we started to grow. We moved from one place to another place to another place. CCFLA is part of the CCF Philippines, which is what? A disciple-making movement. Started in Manila 33 years ago. So our mother church, okay, is 33 years old. It started in Manila. A few of them. CCFLA started in West Covina. A few of them about seven years ago. Our mother church started about 33 years ago. And... How are we? We are part of the CCF Beyond, or they call it the ICP, or the International Church Planting Team or Family. You know, it's always nice to know your ancestry line, right? Some people would pay money to find out who their grandparents, great-great-grandparents are, right? And it's nice to know where CCFLA came from. It came from a movement. It's not just a church, but a movement. A movement of what? Disciple-making people. And it is committed to fulfill the great commission of Christ by setting goals that are so big that only God can deliver. This is the present CCF beyond. Okay, This is where we are right now. Over five years old, 
We have CCF Brunei, CCF Singapore, Los Angeles, Prince Albert, CCF Qatar. Three to five years old, we have Auckland, Sydney, Dubai, Maine, Abu Dhabi, Riyadh. One to two years old, we have CCF Toronto, East, Vancouver, Edmonton, Jeddah one and two, Dubai South, Sharjah, I don't know where that is, and Satwa, CCF Japan, and recently we opened CCF San Francisco. Isn't that good? Right? This movement is expanding, not only in the Philippines, but also in other countries. And what is shaping this year? Pretty soon we will have CCF Maui, CCF Japan 1 and 2, Hong Kong, Rome, Calgary, Winnipeg, and Toronto West. So if you have relatives, friends in these areas, you can already direct them to these satellite churches that we have. CCF Beyond, D-Groups and House Churches. We have CCF Hamburg, Chandler, Virginia, Oman, Melbourne, Saskatoon, Malaysia, Central Valley, California. Pretty soon, we will have CCF in Central Valley. And you know what? God is moving in Malaysia. Malaysia is one of the biggest or the biggest Muslim country in the world. And the gospel is starting to penetrate in Malaysia. There are a lot of huge churches now, mega churches in Malaysia. And CCF is now penetrating these Muslim countries. Okay, give the Lord a hand. We have our existing Bible study and new or probably new D groups that we will have in CCF LA. CCF Irvine, Tabing Ilog or Riverside, Lakewood, Carson, North LA, Burbank and Eagle Rock, Valencia, Fullerton, Rosemead, Arcadia, West Covina, eventually we may have CCF Young Adults. I'm believing God that we will have a group for young adults or the single ones. On Cerritos, I'm sorry, Cerritos has not included. And of course, we have our youth apex. So we, have, we will have 13 groups just here in CCF LA. Are you excited what God is doing? I am. And I am expecting God to move in our midst. Why? Because it is His last command to us. Go and make disciples. What is the vision of CCF by the year 2020? We will have about 200 D-groups 
this is our this is our vision for the whole CCF global worldwide 200 D groups and 2 million members do you think this is achievable yes are you sure how sure are you 100% okay let's look at the vision of CCF ICP or CCF and beyond CCF ICP 2020 vision we envision to have 180 D groups and 1.8 million members and you know what that is 90 percent 90 percent of the total vision of CCF what does that mean we expect God to move in the midst of people all over the world CCF Philippines is just 20 percent but CCF and beyond is going to be 90 percent of our goal in 2020 are you excited earlier I said are you excited yes now are you excited yes <laughs> are you with us yes. are you sure yes. okay praise God according to dr. Bill Bright he's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ he said we need to set our goals so big that unless God helps us you will be a miserable or a failure you will know it is God's because that vision is so big that it can only be achieved through the help of God not by our human efforts not by our human intellect but by what by the mighty hand of God God parted the Red Sea and I believe that God is going to part the Red Sea in our midst so that we can penetrate the whole world amen You know what? Harvest is not a problem. People are thirsty. They want to know what's going on in their lives. People around you, I'm sure there are a lot of people around us that has not known the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, right? Even your relatives, even your friends. Our party mates, the people that we party with, the people that we party with, 80% of them, I'm sure, have not heard the gospel. Probably about 80% of the people in the office have not heard the gospel. People in the office, what are they talking about? They are talking about the wall. Right? What will happen to us if the wall is there? Right? They're talking about the wall. And less and less people are talking about the gospel. And in fact, in America, you cannot talk about the gospel in the office place. Because if somebody complains, the following day you will be in HR. Isn't that a burden for us Christians? 
people are dying without Christ. Just imagine when you die. You are in heaven. Praising God with the angels and other believers. And then when you look down, your best friend is swimming in hell. Can you stomach that? You're in heaven, wearing the crown of righteousness, bringing your prize. Wow, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Hallelujah. And then your dad and your mom, they're swimming in hell. It's real, my friends. It's real. Heaven is real. And hell is real. It is appointed unto man who wants to die. And after that, we will be judged. When we are judged, when our friends will be judged, where will they be? It's only between you and the Lord. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus was saying, the harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of people wanting to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They are dying without Christ. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, I beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. I see top two problems. Number one, many workers, you and me, feel that we are not qualified. We think we have the paradigm that for us to share the gospel, we should, be, we should know the Bible from cover to cover, like the Jehovah's Witness. Or, you will see, before I share the gospel, I should know how to pray. The problem with us is we have that paradigm that we are not capable. You know what? You don't be a theology graduate for you to share the gospel. All you need is the story of your life. All you need is to tell them how Christ has changed your life. The story to tell them that even if you're sick because you're waiting for, for, for God's healing on our lives, we still have that peace that passes all understanding. A story to tell them that even if you're not a millionaire, you are happy, contented, and full of joy. Story to tell them that even if you're not driving a Mercedes-Benz, you can go to the office and rejoice because you have the peace of God and you have the contentment. And these are the things that people will look at us. They will not be applauded by the way we memorize Bible verses. But the moment they look at our lives and they see the story of our lives, then they will be attracted to our Lord and Savior. The second problem that I see is that workers, most of us are not willing. Why? We have too many reasons, just like Moses. When God called him to lead the people out of Israel, 
Remember, Moses had a lot of excuses. Excuses after excuses after excuses. What's your excuse? Lord, here I am. Send Butch. Right? We are good at pointing at people. But what about us? Lord, I am not qualified. Lord, I will wait for one year. Probably by that time, I already know how to pray. Witnessing is simply sharing your story. The story of your life. All of us has a story to tell, right? Right? Anybody here without a story to tell? All of us has a story to tell. For the students, we excel in school. That is our story to tell. We excel in school because what? I am a child of God, and as a child of God, I do my best to do my homework, to do my assignment, to pass all my subjects with flying colors. That is your testimony. That is your story. According to Mark Twain, that the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. I would like to make these three, that there are three most important days in your life. The day you were born, the day you were born again, and the day when you realize what's your purpose in life. Many people do not know their purpose in life. They even didn't know why God saved them. What was the reason why God saved you? Just to go to heaven? Just so that we can escape hell? No. God has a purpose and a plan for you. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, I believe, God said, before I formed you, he said that to Jeremiah, I knew you. When you were still in your mother's womb, I have already ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Translation, I have already ordained you to be a witness to other people. Amen? According to a missionary to China, India, and Africa, his name is City Stud. Only one life till soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Your trophies will not last. Yesterday, my wife was watching Vilma. She was a well-known architect and she's dying of cancer. She's dying, very successful in her career. But when she dies, she cannot be an architect in heaven. She will have to leave everything behind. But anything you do for Christ, 
it will last. And what is that? The people that we have helped, the people that we have discipled, these people will last. I remember sometime in December, I was uh, chatting with one of the person I have discipled way back in the Philippines when I was still a youth pastor of a church. And now they are pastors of a church in New Zealand. And, and you know, God spoke to me. Sometimes I feel discouraged, sometimes I feel down. But when I hear the people that I've shared my life with before and who are serving the Lord, gives me that confidence, that God confidence, gives me the motivation to move on. Because we only have one life. It will soon pass. And you know, time flies, right? Right? My wife would always tell me, slow down, slow down. Because what sometimes I still think that I'm invisible. But time flies. It's a realization that I am already 30 years old. <laughs> Time flies. There's only one life and it will soon pass. Only the things that you have done for Christ will last. And what is our purpose in life? Many of us, many people struggle the purpose that God has given, him, given us. In Romans 8.29, it says, God already foreknew and has predestined us to become what? Conformed into the image of His Son. That is our purpose in life. Purpose is to be conformed into the image of, of Jesus. How can we do that? We've been talking about conforming into the image of Christ, but how do we do that? It looks very hypothetical. It looks very difficult to swallow or to understand. Let's look at this. Which uh, can you turn off? In 1996, I married a girl whom I'm just who I just met five months prior, simply because I promised myself that I would marry my 50th girlfriend, and she was it. However, we both felt empty. We decided to have a baby, but still, we were unhappy. A few months after she was born, we finally parted ways. No fights. I can actually still visualize that day over breakfast when we just stared at each other, and I said, I'm not happy. And she said, me too. And I helped her pack, and off she went. I, on the other hand, grew up in a broken home, and my view on relationship was very crooked. Witnessing extramarital affairs in the home made me think that it was okay. As long as you love the person and the person loves you back, then that was love. Fast forward, I met John a few years after his previous relationship ended. We were competitors in the industry. He wanted to pirate me in his business, but didn't succeed. So he Im implemented his plan B. If he couldn't blind me with money, he would have to win my heart instead. 
So in 2002, we had our first child, Sabrina, and we decided to live in. I thought my life was perfect. Love life, a family, and a business rolled into one. But the cracks of my false dreams started to come out into the surface. A few days after I gave birth, Jong asked permission to go out. In a few hours, I received a text message from a friend saying, Kawawa ka naman, kakapanganak mo pa lang, eto na si Jong, nakakapaglandian na sa party. Back then, I knew something was wrong, but I decided not to make a big deal out of it simply because I knew that we were a couple. It was when my sister invited me to a CCF Bible study that the truth came out to life. My D group leader pointed out that I was living a sinful, adulterous life. My dream world crashed as reality sank in. I was a sinner. God made sure I would get the point. In that same week, I discovered that John was having another affair with his employee. I confronted him and he confessed, but I was completely wrecked. Looking at my daughter and looking at my foolishness that I got myself into, I had nowhere else to go but to run back to the Lord. God made it clear that I needed to trust Him to take care of me, but I had to first learn to obey Him. He wanted me to get out of my sinfulness and walk in the path of purity. And I must admit, I struggled. I struggled to leave the relationship, but as I was about to walk out, I discovered I was pregnant with my second child. Still, I took the leap of faith. I moved out and separated from John. It was a very painful time, but God was with me every step of the way. Eventually, I also found out that he had another affair with an employee whom he got also pregnant almost about the same time as me. I also discovered other immoral relationships he had with other colleagues. And though I was hurting, I continued to pray for him and surrendered him to the Lord. Overcoming sexual addiction was not hard. It was impossible. I was exposed to sex really early. First time I got caught by my dad in bed was when I was 13 with another 13-year-old. Sex has been for me something as casual and normal as eating or taking a bath. In fact, I, don't, I didn't even think there, there, that there was anything wrong with it. All my attempts to overcome my addiction failed. And after several times, I finally gave up and told Monique to move on and find another man. I thought I was hopeless and was convinced that I could never change. And even if I could not see what God was doing, I faithfully walked with the Lord. I even prayed that John would get to meet the Jesus that I knew. Slowly, I saw Jesus move in John's life. From simply driving me to CCF, he started to stay and listen, then taking down notes, reading the Bible, and eventually attending his own D-group. It was a good five-year journey until I saw him fully surrender his life to the Lord. Jesus began to put order in our messy lives. I realized the wrong I've done and that I was trying to fill my emptiness with women when only Jesus can. In 2008, I was finally able to confess to Monique and admit the affair that I previously had with my employee and that I got her pregnant. Monique's spirit-filled response was, If this child is indeed yours, then we must do our role as parents. We have to support the child. But only for clarity, 
let's get a DNA test. Two weeks prior to the, to the wedding, the DNA test results came out, and it was not a match. By God's grace, last July 2, 2009, we finally got married. In our wedding, Monique even invited the women that I had affairs with as a true form of reconciliation and releasing forgiveness. God gave me a verse that helped me overcome my addiction. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 to 13 says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I learned that God allows me to go to, through trials. And when I am tempted, He will always provide a way to overcome it. I had no excuse to fall again. I had also learned that God is with me everywhere I go. During the times when I found myself alone with a girl and I was sure that no one would see or know, the Holy Spirit would convict me and remind me that there is nothing that will be made that, that will not be made known and eventually God will cause all secrets to be revealed and brought into the light. As an evidence of my freedom from sexual addiction, a few years back, I was out of town shooting when one of the ladies in the editorial team suddenly came in my room and asked for that. When I declined, she pinned me down to the bed and said, just once, no one will know. I told her that I already have a family, but she still insisted. I placed my hand on her head and prayed out loud, in the name of Jesus, spirit of lust, get away from me. After I uttered those words, she ran and exited through the window. As I lay there in bed, in total disbelief, the sliding door opened and the curtains being blown by the wind, I wondered to myself, why the window when you have the door? We are still a work in progress, but we press on knowing that only in Jesus can we have an abundant and meaningful life. Now God is using us in the CCF family ministry, helping people who are going through the same challenges we had before. We've surrendered everything to God, even using our business as a means to reach out to the lost, not only in conducting Bible studies, but also running it as a ministry. We've homeschooled our kids and are intentional in discipling them too. Truly only in Jesus can your mess turn into a masterpiece. To God be all, all the, the glory. glory. Their mentors, their disciples, to come up here. May I ask uh, Rolly and Joy and Edric, you know, the reason why we do this, so that everybody, you will begin to understand the Christian journey is never alone. You are where you are today because somebody helped you. And that's why we have a small group. When John first came to CCF, he was helped by Rolly. And then, eventually, 
for Monique as a couple, they went to Joy and Edric. Now you begin to understand why we like to invite you to join a small group. Our purpose in life is towards Christ-likeness. And how do you do that? The testimony that we have seen this morning, or earlier, you see, Monique, when she got to know the Lord as her personal Lord and Savior, he did not preach to her husband. What did she do? She showed, she prayed, and she showed the story of her life, how God has been changing her life. And that attracted John. It started with John bringing Monique, dropping her off in church. And then she said it was a five-year journey. And after that, he started taking notes, reading the Bible, and soon he surrendered his life to the Lord. That's the story. And when they came to know the Lord as their personal Lord and Savior, they were not left just there, sitting, listening to Pastor Peter. No. There were a group of individuals who took care of them. The role that Pastor Insong wants to do, but he cannot, because he's got only two ears, two hands, two eyes, one mouth. He cannot take care of all of us, especially when we grow. We need to divide ourselves. Divide what? God has appointed leaders in this church. Our pastor, Pastor in song, just like Moses, he gives the total direction. The hardest things, the difficult ones, he takes care of them, like changing the curtains. No. Do you know that, are you enjoying your, are you enjoying here in church? Clean bathroom, clean surroundings. And didn't you know that it's not Pastor Insong who does that? There's a person here who has been so humble. He does not get paid. Every morning he comes in, he cleans the toilet. Don't you know that Pastor Insong is not the one handling the discipleship or the Bible study groups in in Lakewood or in Burbank. He goes around from time to time. Why? Because God has appointed leaders to take care of that. And as we grow, God will raise up new leaders to what? To take care of the new converts. In the advent of social media, we started to connect with each other, right? I remember it started with Friendster. Uh, actually, my mother told me about Friendster. Okay, I'm, I started learning social media in Facebook. Okay, and now you have Instagram, you have Pinterest, You have a lot of social medias in short. Okay, why? Connecting people. 
And I believe God is connect, going to connect people in our church. You will soon get to be connected with your friends in the office. You will soon be connected to your long-lost relatives. You will soon be connected with your classmates. And when you are connected with them, what do we talk? Can they see the story of our lives? And when they see the story of our lives and we get to have that opportunity to share the good news, after that, they receive Christ as their Savior, do we just leave them there as orphans? Somebody needs to take care of them.